And if you would open your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Ephesians, I have in the bulletin Ephesians 3.19. That was my uh, poor handwriting when I gave this to Connie. It's actually uh, 3.14 through chapter 4, verse 16. Please hear God's Word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Down to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we uh, ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me say, before I pray and ask God's blessing on this um, reading and then also on the proclamation of His Word, that what I am aiming at here is really you understanding the mindset of the Apostle Paul. There's going to be a lot of details in here. And if you get lost in trying to understand all the details, you may miss the mindset that the Apostle Paul is urging upon us here in this passage. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would 
Uh, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Uh, enlighten our minds in order that we might do the impossible. And that is, uh, know that which surpasses knowledge. Uh, and that being the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That love with which He loved us when He laid down His life. That love with which He loved us when He took it up again, ascended to Your right hand, and there forever makes intercession for us. And so we pray in His name. Amen. I have good news for you this morning. It's not just good news. It is great news. It's it's news so good that it really can't adequately be explained. And it can't adequately be explained because as it says here in the passage in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it can't be adequately described or explained because it surpasses knowledge. So I guess what I'm telling you is that I've got this great news for you that I am incapable of adequately describing for you and you are incapable of completely understanding. So maybe I should just close my Bible and call it a day. (laughs) Of course I won't do that. I've got six pages here. Um, So let's look at this passage. Look at uh, specifically at verse 19. In verse 19 of chapter 3, he says he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See this? He is describing to us a knowledge that is indescribable. It it surpasses knowledge. But it can be experienced. And Paul prays for the Ephesians to experience this knowledge. That they may experience the love of Christ. That they may be filled with all the fullness of God. And the reason why he prays this for them is to let us know that this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge can be our experience as well that we can know Christ's love, that we can be filled to all the fullness of God. And I've got to say, this concept of being filled with all the fullness of God has always enthralled me. Because what God is saying here in verse 19 is that that God is offering us Himself. He offers His people not simply forgiveness of sins. He offers His people not only His love and acceptance. He offers His people not only eternal life, but He offers us Himself. And He offers Himself without reserve because He says here that He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, What God is doing here and what Paul is praying for you as he prayed for these Ephesians 
is that God offers you all His fullness. And this concept, as I think about it, it blows my mind. Which is another way of saying, I guess, that it really does surpass certainly my knowledge. Because I can't fully grasp it. Well, let's look at this concept for a couple of minutes before we move into chapter 4. Look at verses 14 through 17. Here in these verses, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, uh, the Apostle Paul says that he got down on his knees and prayed for the Ephesians. And he prayed for them that God would grant them power through His Spirit in their inner being, in other words, in their souls, or he could have said in their hearts, uh, in their innermost being, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. I think this is just another way of saying that he prays that God would regenerate all of them by His Spirit so that they would all entrust themselves to Jesus Christ. And that really is a prerequisite. If you are going to even have any concept of what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God, much less yourself being filled with all the fullness of God, um, you've got to first have Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. In other words, you must be born again. You cannot even know God if Christ does not dwell in your heart by faith. So then I want to ask you this morning, does Christ dwell in your heart by faith? You know, just like Paul, uh, I pray um, certainly every Sunday morning as I get here early um, and uh, pray that each person who comes here would know Jesus Christ by faith. Now, I don't get down on my knees. My attention span is not that long if I get down on my knees. Uh, I used to get down on my knees and, and, um, and, and pray on Sunday mornings. And, and uh, I had a deacon rush into my office thinking that I had collapsed of a heart attack and came in was trying to revive me. I'm like, sorry, I'm just praying. But what I do is I get out and I walk the property. And I pray. Um, that God would bring every person who comes to Westminster and hears the proclamation of His Word, hears the reading of His Word, I pray that God would bring them to know Jesus Christ. And so I come here and I stand in the pulpit and I'm always asking um, expectantly, do you know Jesus Christ? Does He dwell in your heart by faith? If Christ does not dwell in your heart by faith, then take Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3 as his prayer for you. As God's wooing of your heart. Be encouraged about God's love and receive Jesus Christ that He may dwell in your heart by faith. And so Paul says to the Ephesians, that's what he's praying for them. That's the prerequisite here in this passage. And then notice what he prays for next, and this is key. He prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, verse 17. And this love that he's praying for is is, uh, not Paul praying for the Ephesians to love God more. That's not what he's praying for. Rather, he's praying that their love, he's praying for their love for each other 
in the church would be rooted and grounded. Um, how do I know this? Because of verse 18. Verse 18, that um, he, he says that we may have strength, or that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. You see that? They need to be rooted and grounded in love because being filled to the fullness of God is a group effort. He says He prays for them, they may be rooted and grounded in love, that they may, to, that they may comprehend, um, they comp- may comprehend with all the saints what is the height, breadth, length, and depth. I know that this flies in the face of our individualized concepts of Christianity. We all think about the fullness of God in terms of ourselves. We all think about our own personal walk with Christ, how we are doing. Paul says, in order for us to really grow as God wants us to grow, we've also got to be concerned with each other in the body of Christ because we all grow into the fullness of God Together. Why? Because we are a body, Paul says. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is not written to an individual, it is written to a congregation. This idea of the fullness of God being a group effort, in fact, is the theme of chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. So look with me in chapter 4. Look at verse 16. Paul says, "...from Him the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow." So he's not talking about an individual growing. He's talking about the whole body, the whole congregation growing so that it builds itself up in love. Or... As we were talking uh, in verse in chapter three, verse uh, verse nineteen about the fullness of God, we'll notice what he's talking about in chapter three, verse thirteen. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, what is the fullness of Christ? Well, it's basically the fullness of God. Those things are indistinguishable. Um, So how do you get the fullness of Christ? Well, he says, verse 13, we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We... So there's this concept of unity here. There's this concept of Christ being the head and the whole body grows up into Him. There's not an individual part out here outside of Christ the head that is growing apart from the body. We need each other. We cannot grow as, in, as disconnected individuals. Paul liked using metaphors in his letters, and this metaphor of Christ being the head and the church being the body, I think was his favorite metaphor. Uh, Paul's using this metaphor here in verses 14 through 16 in chapter 4. And his point is, Uh, Verse 14, that the church cannot grow if it is disunified. 
Specifically, Paul's thinking of um, a disunity that is the result of bad theology. Uh, so he says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and, and deceitful schemes. So he's talking here about bad theology. If, if the congregation's being pulled here and there and different places because we have bad theology and we don't have a unified um, theology that's based on God's Word, uh, unity is impossible. And so that's why God gave teachers to the church. And so you look back at verse 11. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm kind of all over here. And if you're trying to follow little point by little point, you'll get confused. But Paul's teaching a mindset, and I'm trying to teach the mindset that he was uh, giving to the Ephesians. So look at verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So, to combat bad theology, to combat disunified theology, Christ in His grace has given teachers to the church. He lists several types of officers in the church in verse, in verse 11. Um, he doesn't mention deacons because that is not their primary calling. But he mentions the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, uh, the, the pastor-teachers, all because that is their primary calling. Um, the teaching is not an end in itself. Having simply good theology is not an end in itself. Uh, rather, it is a means to an end. And the end here, the goal here, is building the body of Christ. But the responsibility for unity does not simply rest on the teachers. Uh, look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says the entire body, you, you, you up in the, the balcony, every one of us has a responsibility for the unity. So he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to be speaking the truth to one another. We are to be building each other up. We are to be serving each other. And the goal is stated very plainly in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is our head, which is Christ. We'll return to these verses at the conclusion of the sermon. But I simply am trying to, to uh, introduce some of these concepts. Now, to say that we are obligated to each other, that we are to speak the truth to each other in love, that we are to serve each other. Well, the reality is there are some people that are easier to speak the truth to than others. There are people who are easier to build up and edify than others. Uh, there are some people that are easier to serve than others. But there are no excuses. None. Each one of us has a mutual responsibility it's not the pastor's job. 
It's not the elder's job, not the deacon's job, not the wit council's job. It belongs to every one of us. Even from the youngest to our oldest. From the new believer to the most mature in the faith, we cannot grow up into the fullness of Christ without each other's help. Here's the good news. Look at the beginning of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1-6, through six, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And now I'm going to slow down. We'll come back to verses 1-3, through three, but I'm going to slow down verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know one word that does not appear here in this passage? The word two. Because the word one appears continually. Paul is emphasizing that there is one body. Or as he says in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit. Um, The Apostle Paul, like this metaphor of... um, of the body and the head. He also used other metaphors. He liked using sports metaphors. And um, I'm going to use a sports metaphor to say that God has given us a team, capital S, Spirit. He's given us His Holy Spirit. His one Holy Spirit. I mean, God, God the Spirit, who unifies us all together in one body. We are a body because we have His Spirit. We need each other, and God has given us His Spirit to help us grow together. Um, This is why I I titled the sermon, Team Spirit Christianity. The Holy Spirit has formed us into a body, and so uh, He is going to grow us together as a body. So, what does this mean practically? Well, Negatively, um, I must say, don't tell me that you can't take time to get to know so-and-so. Don't tell me that you can't stop looking out for your own interest long enough to serve your brother or sister in Christ. Don't tell me that you can't bring yourself to like so-and-so. God has equipped you with His Holy Spirit right here, verses 4 through 6. For you to say that you can't take time for someone, serve someone, or like someone, means that you are denying the Holy Spirit's presence and work in your own life. And that is supremely dangerous, not to mention dishonoring to God. Look now, at verses 1 through 3. And I like this sports metaphor. Since Paul's using metaphors, I'm going to use metaphor. And my chief admonition to you this morning is be a team player. 
Look at verses 1 through 3 uh, as I read it again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this is not just an, an individual calling to be faithful to God, but listen to, to the manner of the walk. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And so he is saying here, your walk with the Lord is really concerned with how you walk with your brothers and sisters in the church. You see that? This idea of Christian unity evidences itself in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love. Doesn't this sound very familiar to Philippians chapter 2 and also chapter 4? We also saw it in Sunday school in Colossians chapter 3. It's because these concepts are very important to the Apostle Paul because they are very important to God. You are to be to use the the sports metaphor, a team player. You are to be a team player in your home. You are to be a team player in your workplace. You are to be a team player in your relationships. You are to be a team player in the church. So let me ask you, do your relationships ooze with humility, gentleness, patience, and love? Actually, that's too general a question. Let me ask it this way. Does your every relationship ooze with gentleness, humility, patience, and love? It's not enough for only some of your relationships to be loving. Now that I've inserted the knife, I'm going to warn you because I'm about to twist it. Is there anyone who would say that your relationship towards them does not ooze with humility, with gentleness, with patience, and with love? Remember, this is a description of how you are to love your enemies. Now as I move toward concluding this sermon, I want you to look at verses 15 and 16. We were there earlier but we did not examine the real, the real riches of this passage. In fact, there's some, there's some depths of riches here that I'm going to save for next week because I'm going to make this a three-part sermon. But Paul here is using the body metaphor. Christ is the head and we are to grow as a body to be a glorious representative of Him. I am a big NBA fan. As much as I like the Georgia Bulldogs, as much as I like the Atlanta Falcons and... Go Dirty Birds are playing the Buccaneers today. (laughs) My favorite sports team is the Atlanta Hawks. And um, that's neither here nor there, but I watch a lot of NBA basketball when I'm able to. And the NBA has these commercials where they have cut and pasted these, um, these photos of the heads of some of their superstars. If you've seen these commercials, I know all my children have because I've always pointed them out. And they've cut and pasted these big heads of the superstars and they've put them on their, on, on their regular bodies as they're running to score hoop. And so you have LeBron James dribbling down the court and this 
frozen big smile, goofy smile on his face. Um, is frozen there, kind of like a bobblehead uh, as he's going in to, to make a layup or, or dunk the basketball. And um, uh, the, the heads are enormous. And the bodies are so much smaller in comparison. I know it sounds like a stupid commercial, and you're wondering why I'm telling you this. But the commercial kind of works. It catches my attention, obviously, as I'm talking to you about it now, and I enjoy the commercial. But I mention this because that's what I see in my mind's eye when I read verses 15 and 16. I see Christ with this enormous, or really, to be reverent, well-proportioned, perfect head. But I see the church as having a scrawny body in comparison. And our job is to grow up into Christ. We are to use His wisdom to grow up, to fill out, to grow strong. How do we grow up and fill out and grow strong? Well, it's right here in the passage. So look at verse 16. It says, "...from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What he's saying here is that each one of us represents a different part of the body. That's why we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to show the diversity of the body, but yet the unity of the body at the same time. And we are all joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, it says in the passage. This is like the ligaments and the muscles in the body. You know, what holds, us, what holds our skeleton get together? Well, not only the flesh that, that, um, that covers our, our skeleton, but also the joints and the, the ligaments and the muscles that are all tying us together. You tear a muscle and, and you're not able to use your, your joints as well. Uh, so Paul is, when he's talking here about every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. That's what he's talking about. He's using, again, this, bo- this metaphor of the body. The ligaments and the muscles represent our common theology. It represents our common mission. It also represents the unifying work of the Spirit. Now what happens to your muscles and your ligaments if you just lay around Every day, all day. Your ligaments and your muscles become sore. They become weak. And so Paul says here in verse 16, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In other words, the body needs exercise. Every part of the body needs exercise. Not just the pastor, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the WIC council, not just the youth directors. Everybody, every part of the body needs exercise. And that means you. You need to be active. Session's been working on uh, how to help us be active in the congregation. Um, and um, we're, we're going to be moving in that direction to, to help uh, in that regard. But the church, or, or rather this passage is saying that every one of us needs to be working in the body of Christ. So here's what I want to urge you to do. As you are putting the final touches on your New Year's plans, your New Year's resolutions, 
I want to add I want you to add to your list to begin praying and asking how God wants you uh, how God wants to use you at Westminster Presbyterian Church in 2013 and beyond. Let's pray. Almighty God, um, we're considering a different concept of the church that is normally considered. Although we have been talking about it and preaching about it and praying about it, uh, really from the, in, the uh, inception of this congregation uh, so many decades ago, we are the body of Christ. Help us to take that concept seriously. Help us in taking that concept seriously, uh, each one of us, to do the work that You have called us to do, to carry out our calling faithfully, joyfully, so that we together as a body might grow up into Him who is our glorious Head, even Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.